Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and this guest is just unbelievable. She is out there really inspiring school districts and kids and adults and everyone who has made a mistake. And trust me, we all make mistakes, and she, she talks about it. She made that mistake. We had her on the show before, but now she wants to update us on how things are going. Catherine Bosley, how are you? And don't oh, you— great. Don't you agree? It's like it feels so fulfilling to to finally put yourself out there and say, you know what? I did make a mistake. I am teaching others about our decisions and how inspiring that is to be transparent with your audience. Yeah, there's nothing more uh, healing, I think, than being able to embrace your story and use it to make it count and, and turn it into something good. Uh, and I think really... Almost any hardship any of us go to, if we think about it a little bit, the light will go off as far as how this story, this situation might be able to help others if you share it. And I am so inspired. I'm taking my digital danger forever and for all to see speech to schools everywhere. And the the response I'm getting is incredibly heartening. I do understand that I really am making a difference with this. I am getting... Uh, emails, and I'm, I'm getting comments from teachers and parents and students really about how much I'm enlightening them in regards to the dangers there are out there, how little room there is for what was I thinking moment before it could become attached to you forever and for all to see. And to the point where some kids have come up to me and said they're going to go right through all their social media and see what they can take down and uh, and take a closer look at the inventory. I always say this, when any post you take, or any picture you take, any post you make, you've got to take inventory of everything it says about you. What's going on in the background? What kind of signage is back there? What are people doing in that picture with you? Are they doing something that might reflect badly on you? Or are you doing something that might be misinterpreted by someone down the road where opportunities as they come along, when people go back and they look at your social media, maybe they see something there that's not really meant to be there, and it could cost you uh, opportunities. Right. So uh, just knowing knowing that I'm making a difference and hearing what people are saying, and one person, actually, a teacher wrote to me, and she says, I think you saved a life today. Because, you know, when you come under attack on social media, it, it, there's something about it that I think even experts don't quite understand as far as how much torment it yes, causes. Yes, truly. So, yeah. Right. So if I could save just one person from uh, doing something that could come back and haunt them and cause them torment online and make them think that, 
you know, there's no hope left, then I, I am certainly so grateful to be able to be out there spreading my message. It's so true. And we talked about the story before, so we don't want to rehash it again. It's more about what you're doing now, how you're out there. So it's very interesting. You brought up what we post online, and that's part of your talk. Because before, really, online was not online when you had your uh, situation. Now, basically, basically I I cut loose in a way I never imagined I could on on vacation after I was celebrating uh, surviving a life-threatening lung illness. And this was back then, as you mentioned, it was before we had social media. It was before uh, our, our phones could do what they do today. But it was the foundation of it all was there. It was the Internet. And that's all it took was the Internet to where later I found out that there were pictures taken and video taken of that moment that I so regretted that just went wild, went viral before we knew what viral truly meant. Exactly. And that, yeah, and that was just then before we were anywhere near we are where we are with that technology. And it's worse now because the situation, like, for example, uh, Darnell Dinkins, who I work with from Ethic Training, who's a Super Bowl champion, he tells his kids all the time, do not post things on social media unless they're positive, unless they're going to help you because coaches are watching and looking at that information. And if you're posting things that means that you could be a cancer or you made a bad decision, that could come back to haunt you. And even if you delete it, that people can find it. So that is such an important thing for our listeners out there to tell their kids. Anything you post online could come back to haunt you later on in your life. And it could cost you a job. It could cost you a relationship. It could cost you an opportunity. You just never know, right? It is so true, and really, uh, so uh, the kids that I talk to, they kind of get a kick out of this, but um, I have fun with it. I talk about healthy or happy, healthy selfie, and I know it sounds really uh, cheesy, but but you truly happy is 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 key when you're posting anything out there because you want to make sure that you keep a positive uh, attitude and that there's there's a you know, positive image out there and healthy goes along with making sure that nothing is going on in your picture that could come back and haunt you later. So happy, healthy selfie is, is what I push. And although they laugh about it, um, I, I think that that's kind of a little slogan that seems to stick with them. And that, that is so important. And, you know, I had, I was with a coworker years ago who was very upset about something that happened at work and he went on Facebook and he, he posted I'll never forget this day. It was supposed to be such a great day for me in, at work. And, you know, I'll never forget those responsible hashtag revenge. And he lost his job and he still has yet to get hired again. And I know he didn't really mean that he was going to go hurt anybody. Um, he was just lashing out. And I always say, make sure, especially when you're emotional and or inebriated, you don't even go anywhere near your social media because once something is out there like that, it is out there forever and, and, and for all to see. And I and they have certain algorithms, even though it's deleted, it can be found. And I am not an expert in that, I, nor I don't know if you are. Uh, we need to kind of, both of us, because we are social media gurus, have to kind of go out there and understand. And social media experts telling the dangers of social media, the importance of social media, and how it's changing. We need to go out and educate people about that. But I don't know about all that tech stuff, about pulling out that information once we delete it and still people find it. It pretty much I think it's that that companies that can do that's an invasion of privacy. But Catherine, 
there's nothing we could do about it unless there's a law that comes out, right? That's true. And, you know, our laws are not keeping up with our technology. And that certainly, I, I certainly do believe that that happens. Uh, people who work in human resources at big companies and uh, people who are work in admissions offices at colleges, I do believe they can get past what we see on the surface as far as social media goes and find and get into the deleted world or what we think is deleted. But I would say it might be deleted on the surface, but you know, once it's in cyberspace, it is always in cyberspace. So, uh, you know, and not, not that it's always going to come back and haunt you, but something to always keep in mind uh, the possibilities. And that's great. And I think you have the exact same thing that so many school districts need to hear. They need to hear someone like yourself that, you know, you are a public figure, Catherine, uh, a journalist. You're in front of the camera all the time and also behind the camera. And you understand the importance of image. And I think one of the other things you're teaching people is you're teaching them that your first impression is so important. And if you hurt that first impression, the way we present ourselves when we meet somebody for the first time, the way we have our first conversation on the phone, via email, it doesn't matter. It's all about how we present ourselves in a positive manner because if we don't, it's going to cause trouble for us in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so often today, that first impression is the first picture that you pull up of somebody. And uh, and it, it can be hard to not see it anymore. <laughs> when, once you see something that that's a little alarming about someone, red flags go up for sometimes the strangest reasons that you can't put your finger on. You know, so it is, it is, it is so very, very important to understand how, how image is more than everything today. It's really, I mean, it, it is. just comes to a whole new level. So the thing, I, question I would ask, what have you gotten out of it talking to all these kids, getting to do these all these talks in the last month, traveling the country, talking to kids? What have you learned from them? You've taught them a lot, but what have you learned from them? I learned that they are more open-minded than I ever imagined, and that they are sitting there waiting to get information to to process and and to make it a difference with. I do find that they do not want to be lectured to. They want to hear stories. They want to hear real life stories of of how uh, my certain policies and certain dangers could actually apply to their world, and they want to know how to make changes to make themselves. Uh, safer. So I, I am very encouraged by uh, by the depth that I see in in kids and uh, I and their willingness. I think to want to be kind and to not want to hurt each other. You know, there's always the bad apples out there, and these are the ones that we're always concerned about. The ones that are going out there and they're bullying and they're looking for opportunities to embarrass uh, a classmate or hurt a classmate. They're there, absolutely, they're there. But I believe. Just like I believe most people are really good, I believe most of these kids really are good, and they really just want to, to uh, you know, push the positive. Push the positive. There's another push. little tagline you got to put out there. Push the positive, Catherine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Create that. Put, add that to your hashtags on Instagram. Push the positive. I sure will. <laughs> Again, I, I, I have so many brands I work with. It's a great idea. Catherine, best place we, people can contact you right now. If you're a school district, especially we do have lots of educators that listen to this program. 
and you want right. to I, come out and speak, where's the best place we can find info, information please. on you? Yeah. My website is the best place, katherinebosley.com, uh, or you can email me to the website or email me just katherine at katherinebosley.com, and it's common spelling, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, Bosley as in Tom Bosley, C-O-S-L-E-Y. I'm also on most social media, on, on Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, and I do respond uh, pretty quickly. So, yeah, and I, I would love to even, even if you have any questions or concerns, uh, as far as the subject goes, I please, I encourage you to reach out to me. I, I love the discussion. And you're doing something you love and you're giving back, and that's the tremendous thing, and you don't understand how many lives you're changing. When we talk about different things, and maybe the next time you come on the show, we can talk about, and I did do a talk uh, before on the dangers of social media I never talked to you about when we met for lunch one time, Catherine, and it really is such a powerful thing as another type of talk to parents. So that's another FYI. I could see you be that expert because you could just say, hey, I was embarrassed. I could see what would happen when your kids do it. This is what you have to do to guard yourself to have these conversations with right. your kids. Oh yeah, I spoke at a corporate event too. My message really is it, it, it can go to any age. I agree. Any group. Yeah. Anyone who spends any time online can benefit from my message. So I spoke at a, a corporate event in uh, the Cleveland area recently, and although a lot of people, you know, they're thinking about what they're doing on social media and now the, the possibilities of the dangers that are out there, but there are a lot of them were parents. And so they were more interested in how the message can be translated into helping their children. So it was both given, being given on an executive level and a parental level at the same time. Great. Fantastic. Well, thanks for calling. Look forward to chatting with you again and best of luck as you continue to travel the country, inspiring kids and inspiring everyone to make the right decision. Be- act before, don't act before you think you got to think before you act because what happens is major consequences. If you don't think about the decision you're going to make before you Absolutely. do that action. Sure yep. I appreciate it. I'm sure I sure appreciate your support as well. All right. Thanks, Catherine. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You listen to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Network's Rob Roselli show, and I'm excited to welcome the program Rob Roselli. Rob, how are you? You know, uh, last week we continued to talk about the Federal Reserve, and just a little quick point to your, uh, again, showing history and what's going to happen in history is our economy is at a all-time high. Then we have a bad stock market day, and President Trump announces today he wants to lower the Fed rates. Uh, a lot of presidents aren't going to go and speak out like that, are they, Rob? No, they aren't, Neil, and, and thanks again for having me and, and, and whatnot. And, and just, um, no, they're not. And, and this kind of dovetails into our conversation last week. And, and, and again, just for everybody listening, please be aware that I'm, you know, I'm doing my best here to compress uh, literally a couple thousands of years of, of human history and uh, the Federal Reserve and, and, and the economy and into, you know, 15-minute um, conversations. Um, so really, it's a, it's a broad overview. But the, 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 what people need to pay attention to are, are, are the broader points, um, and I try to accentuate those and, and summarize things. Um, I know everybody's busy and whatnot these days, but anyway. Um, so just to kind of pick up where we left off last week, um, you know, quick review: uh, the Federal Reserve system uh, is, is a blatant scam. 
Okay. It's just, 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 just no way about it. I mean, it's a, it's a debt-based system. Uh, it's a perpetual debt-based system that issues money and then charges money uh, or, tra- or, excuse me, charges interest on that 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 funny money. Um, and that, let, let me just speak to that, you know, real quickly because I yes, really, definitely. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. pe- pe- People need to understand this, Neil. You know what a scam this is, and you know it needs to penetrate. I mean, they're so used to hearing, you know, Fox Business News and these Harvard economists and University of Chicago Rockefeller founded University of Chicago. By the way, not a mistake. The same Rockefeller family that gave us the Federal Reserve. But anyway, what it is, uh, the best way to summarize the Fed is an international. A uh, loan sharking operation because the same people behind the United States Federal Reserve are the same people behind the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, the United Nations. It's all interconnected, and, and we'll get into the United Nations connections when we talk about my book, The Un-American Genocidal Complex, and you know, uh, out in future shows. But anyway, the point is it's all interconnected. But when I say it's a loan sharking operation, basically what they're doing is they're loaning money. Um, the countries, including the United States, all over the world, Greece uh, is a prime example of what we have waiting for us here in the United States. Um, basically, they loan countries money at interest that they know ultimately they can never pay back. So what they do then is they go in and they, and they literally uh, seize physical uh, resources or wealth. Remember last week we talked about the difference between money and, and wealth. Um, so by controlling the, the monetary supply, taking control of the monetary supply, um, and then people aren't able to pay it back. You know, it's good up front, just like a loan sharking operation. You take the money, uh, but then after a while, you, you know, the the the, uh, the debtor figures out he can't, he can never pay the right, loan exactly. back. Um, just mathematically, it doesn't work. Um, and then the loan shark comes in and you know takes his store or or, or whatnot or his car. And in, in this case, the loan sharking operation takes entire countries. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and that's basically it. I mean, and that's the long and the short of it. I don't care what the bozos on, uh, on any of these news or these economists or whatever they say. At the end of the day, that's what the Federal Reserve System is. Um, and the better part is, I remember I called it a an, an inter, you know a national and an international. Uh, Bank heist, bank robbery. Now that's that's literally what they've done, um, because we, we can't we can we can again. I'm going to say this again and again. We, we just can't pay this off. And in other words, if 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 you're the you know if you're the debtor and, and I'm I'm the lender, in this case the Federal Reserve, and and, and you borrow money from me. How are you ever going to pay me back if I'm the source of your money? You can't because if I give you ten dollars today and I say, all right, you know, just ten bucks, you know, how, you go and spend it, buy a house or a car, whatever. You're never going to be able to pay me back. You have to borrow another ten bucks to pay the ten dollars you, you know, I just loaned you. And on top of that, I'm charging you interest. So at the end of year one, you've taken ten dollars and spent it. But at the end of year, year one, just simple math, ten percent interest, which is which is high, but it's just for an example. You're going to owe me eleven dollars. So 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 mathematically. Uh, you, you can never pay me back. And the only way you can kind of keep the scam going is, you know, I loan you more money and keep charging you interest on it. And it, that's called compounding interest. It's called usury uh, in the Bible. Uh, that's why it's illegal because it's such a scam. And remember, we talked about the money changers right, on, the, exactly, on the first yeah, show yeah. And, and that whole thing. So this is, again, this, this is where we are. And, and let me just let me just say this other point, and I'm going to move on to Trump and Andrew Jackson and, and the Oval Office. It's this is so bad. They are creating money out of nothing. Well, and we're creating money out of nothing, Rob. And the thing is, like, we talk about this Chinese tariff that I think we maybe can get a little bit more in deep in because it just hit 
really quickly that 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 China's going to try to punish us. This is goes back to what you talked about the end of the world conversations that we've had on the show a couple years ago, and that yeah. the fact of the matter is China could I mean you don't when you owe let's say you owe money to a bank and you don't pay that bank it ends up punishing you greatly later on. At first you could kind of just keep ignoring the phone calls and not paying, and then they start to take things from you or they start to take your. Uh, credibility, and they start bar- bothering you. Well, China has figured out in a lot of ways. Well, we're going to start bothering you now because you're really not looking. You you keep printing money, and oh, we're not going to allow this anymore. And that's um, the thing. Yeah, good. Yeah, you know, no, no, you're exactly correct. Um, but you know, China. Let, let, let me just let me just conclude with this, and then, then we'll yeah. jump over to China. Okay, Henry Ford. You know, I think his quote. I mean, you know, basically, you know. He said, if people ever figured out how the monetary system in this country works, there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. Okay, so what I'm saying, so if people really figured this out, look through all the crap and the clutter and, and the nonsense and the statistics and the, you know, the, the 150 IQ economists from Harvard and Chicago University and Stanford or wherever the hell they're from, and just look at this. It's there would be a revolution for tomorrow morning if people really figured out how this was working and what was going on. But people are asleep and this and that. And that, you know, and that's I only suspect about 10% of the people listening right now are, are gonna get what I'm saying. Um, but that's that's anyway, I think that'll close out, you know, in our limited time the, the scam known as the Federal Reserve System. Now to to your point about China, now just just a very quick background, and and again, I'm I'm no expert. I know I know enough to, you know to know what I need to explain here and get my point across. But, you know, the, the Federal Reserve doesn't just print funny money uh, or what do they call it, quantitative easing, I, I think, or what priming the economy, whatever whatever scam name they yes. have just for printing money like they did in Germany in the Weimar Republic, you know, some, you know, 100 years ago that, that brought us into World War II, which was brought by the same international bankers as the Federal Reserve. And so World War One and World War II were set up by these same bankers, but that's another that's a tangent we we can visit on a future show. But anyway, they don't always just print money. They, you know, in some cases what they do is they they float bonds, just like you and I would go to a, a you know a bank and buy a bond for I don't know, for a kid's communion or something, give them a fifty dollar savings bond. It's pretty much the same principle with countries like India, China, and Russia. Um they 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 quote buy our debt. So the United States floats a bond so it can keep keep this scam economy, this welfare system, these endless wars and also the nonsense, you know, graft with Congress and whatever, you know, give greasing their buddies and Mueller investigations, whatever crap the federal government thinks it needs to spend money on uh, and crimes and, and whatnot. Um, you know, to keep all that going, to keep the machine going, they, they'll take dollars, but they'll take bonds rather and, and they'll float them over to, you know, these foreign countries. And China has, you know, they're in Washington so much cash, especially these days, since, you know, this country shipped off its, uh, you know, all its factories and stuff to China, you know, for corporate profits, you know, thanks Bush and Clinton and, you know, and the, and the Republican and the Democrats sell out for setting all that up. So China has all these U.S. dollars. So what do they do is they buy United States bonds and then the United States pays them interest on it. They redeem the bonds and they just keep going. They just keep buying bonds. But as of late, China and any other countries, uh, for that matter, have figured out that they ain't never getting paid back. To, to be quite blunt, you know what they're what they're going to get paid back in is United States uh, Federal Reserve notes, which uh, are, are quickly on the way to becoming wide 
primary republic uh, denominations or Zimbabwe or Venezuela, whatever country you want to insert in there, right, right, any right. country that just prints endless money. So China, China's already PO'd. Um, they've already figured out they're not getting paid back. They, you know, while the idiots in the press here talk about, you know, the nonsense they talk about, China and Russia have been secretly buying gold, and now you got Trump putting this whole tariff uh, situation uh, on top of that. Also, China's already PO'd because uh, they've been they've basically scammed they've been fleeced but not that china's anything great i'm not saying that but they've yeah but they definitely the bankers. They, they've been fleeced you're right and they've been fleeced because then they say we're going to pay you back and they're never going to pay back and so china's mm. trying right do you think we'll ever pay china back well they, they, they well that that's the case that's the whole scam of funding money they, you know technically yes they will be paid back but they'll be paid back and inflated United States dollars. So in other words, if, you know, let's just say you're in Zimbabwe, you know, some years ago when they had their like billion percent inflation or whatever they had, like if somebody owes you, says, oh yeah, here's 10 Zimbabwe dollars. And today they're worth, you know, they're worth 10 ounces of gold. And, you know, tomorrow they're worth like 0.0001 ounces of gold. Um, yeah, they're still going to pay you in Zimbabwe dollars. <laughs> Zimbabwe dollars. I mean, they, they don't even amount to toilet paper. So it's the same principle here. Yeah, technically, we, we will pay them back, uh, maybe, um, but it's going to be with worthless, watered down United States dollars. Um, and let me just say that, that term watered down, I mean, that's just, that's just the inverse of inflation. Um, that's another scam. So, so by the by United States keep printing money, uh, what inflation really is, it's not increased demand for products or whatever crap the government's feeding us. It's, it's a watered down United States dollar. So in other words, a dollar 20 years ago might've, might've bought, uh, let's just say an ounce of gold, for example, a dollar today is only going to buy you half an ounce of gold. And what happens to price? The gold hasn't really gone up in value. Essentially, it hasn't doubled in value. What's really happened is that the value of the dollar has, has has been cut in half due to the endless money printing and all the other nonsense that that, that Bernanke and, and Greenspan, you know, with their quantitative easing, are are pulling. And so China is, you know, they're in they're in this game. They've been sucked into this game, so they know what they're getting. They're, uh, hyperinflated uh, Federal Reserve notes. They've been buying a lot of gold the last several years. You don't hear about this on the news because it's conspiracy theory. But uh, Trump is uh, accentuating the issue with his with his tariffs and what's going on in the last couple of days. Um, and and to, to answer your question, Neil, I'm not exactly sure what his overall strategy is. Obviously, this will anger the Chinese, and they have a large economy and. Uh, they, they're buying a lot of our stuff, and we're buying a lot of their cheap crap. So our, our economies are interconnected. Right. Um, so to start a trade war with them—that's crazy. That's not. That's uh, not. That's not a good decision. Yes or no? Uh, on the surface, it does not appear to be. But look, I, I'm telling you again. You know, just just getting back to the portrait of Andrew Jackson hanging in the Oval Office. Trump is up to something. Yeah, but remember, he's Trump. now he's asking for lowering those Federal Reserves. So that's the thing that could change it. If the Fed, I mean, if the Federal interest rates went down, then whatever hurt from China won't hurt us as much because we'll have an increase in some other part of the economy. So that's a genius move. Somehow they'll listen to him, right? Lower the yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, well by lowering interest rates I mean you know obviously there's more there's more money available for the nation to spend on you know on actual wealth and you know and economy building versus just giving it away to interest to you know to banks and you know whoever loans the federal government money 
but ultimately, again, you know, we're in this we're in this trap of, of a funny money system and, and hyperinflation, and, and Trump is doing his best to get us out of it. I believe that's part of, the, and he's, he's getting China involved. I really do not know what his ultimate strategy is, nor should I know, because he's he's a, he's a master negotiator. He's got an IQ of whatever 150. He's a genius. He's not going to telegraph his move, but he's certainly up to something. Uh, and again, I know we're wrong. Again, once again, we're running short on time. But don't forget, he, he's he's symbolically told the Federal Reserve bankers, "I'm taking you on." It would be symbolized by Andrew Jackson's portrait. And, and let me just let me just conclude with this. I guess we're almost done here, and I don't, don't want to. Um, but the press in this country, uh, not not to jump too much, but it is an absolute disgrace. Okay, they're even more disgraceful than this whole Mueller thing. And, if they were if they were consistent, they would be all over Trump uh, and and Andrew Jackson for what he did to the American Indians. And, I, and I'm not sure I would disagree with them if they did attack that, because Andrew Jackson did a lot of really bad things to the American Indians. Um, but if they were consistent about all this racism, all this other crap that they attack other people with, they would be all over Trump for that. But why? Why the, the interesting question then is why do they not question Trump or attack Trump for the Andrew Jackson portrait? Because they know exactly why it's there, and they're they're Federal Reserve masters. Because the banks own a lot of the media, right. going way back to J.P. Morgan and General Electric and NBC and Rockefeller and New York Times and all that. It hasn't changed today. So the point is, they do not, because their masters, their banker masters, have obviously commanded them do not question Trump about the Andrew Jackson portion. Exactly, and that'll that'll segue into the conversation. Uh, about the Federal Reserve System, and then people will wake up. And the aforementioned revolution that I mentioned that Henry Ford talked about, uh, you know, that we discussed 10 minutes ago, uh, might actually come to fruition. Because, exactly. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. All right. So, so the best place to find info and use it boxesunglasses.com. You can follow you on Twitter, Rob Roselli. Find you anywhere, Rob Roselli. And reach out and ask you questions and uh, tell them if you agree or disagree. And you're willing to come on the show. And debate, Rob, that's fine as well, for sure, Rob, right? Yeah, no, no, sure, sure. I look, like I said, I mean, people might may, may throw a lot of facts and statistics at me, and that's fine. I'm going to throw back at them. It's Proverbs 22.7, the debtor is, is servant to the lender. Uh, so at the end of the day, anything I'm, I'm told about the Federal Reserve is a bunch of crap. Uh, it's just it's just what it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a scam that, that mathematically ha- has to crash. I, I don't care what... What, what, what magic you, you, know, you put in front of it or camouflage it with. But um, All right. Um, well, perfect, anyway. Rob. It was great chatting with you. Good luck, and uh, we'll talk next week, man. I know. Thanks all right, all. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God bless you, too. All right, that was the Robert Selly Show, guys. We're back to the Total Celebrity Show on the Total Radio Network. Again, TotalTutor.net for more information. Twitter, Total Tutor, Neil S. Haley, Facebook, LinkedIn, Neil Haley, Instagram, Total Tutor, and also Pinterest, Neil Haley. And I am so honored to have on the show uh, an NBA legend. And it's amazing uh, the number of uh, Hall of Famers I've had on the show. And to talk to this guy, for sure, I remember him playing with North Carolina, and he got his number retired. I remember uh, the years of winning the NBA champions. So he's a seven-time NBA All-Star part of the NBA 50th anniversary team, a world champion, a Hall of Fame legend, James Worthy. James, thanks for calling. 
Such a pleasure. How are you? I am doing fantastic, and it's fantastic to talk to you. And uh, a lot of times on our show, we focus on life after. But I, I wanted to kind of look at your career in certain ways because, again, people that you know are today's basketball fans in the NBA, they don't look at history and look at the teams when you played with the Lakers and and how uh, how great a career you have. And so for our audience out there that might not know so much about you, James, I gave you a little bit of a, a background. How would you summarize your career? Well, um, I played basketball for one reason and really one reason only. When I was uh, in the eighth grade, I decided that I, I needed to get a scholarship uh, because my parents really weren't going to be able to afford me college. So that was my first incentive was to, uh, you know, excel in basketball in high school. And then I got a scholarship to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Well, I played for a great coach, Coach Dean Smith. Uh, was uh, fortunate enough to win a national championship in 1982 alongside Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins, his teammates. Uh, so I, I, I was drafted by the Lakers in 1982. And um, from that point, uh, I spent my entire career with the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, where we were fortunate enough to win uh, three championships in 85 against the Celtics in 87 against the Celtics, and in 1988, we won the back-to-back championships against the Pistons. And uh, uh, from there, you know, there's you know, some all-star games, seven all-star games, fortunate enough to be inducted into both the college and um, professional NBA Hall of Fame. And uh, it's been a, a great career and a great opportunity for me to uh, use my platform, uh, now retired, to uh, – you know, give back to the community as uh, best I can. And that's so true, James. I talked to so many professional athletes and, and athletes in general. They had a different mindset. Sometimes the ones that stay the course wanted to go to college. They wanted an opportunity to go to college. And it sounds like that's why you got involved in basketball. And uh, it, it led to something that you probably could never imagined you would be able to attain, right? Well, I never, never thought professional. That never entered my mind. That was... Uh, you know, I had two older brothers, and my mom and dad were working extremely hard to put them through a small college in uh, North Carolina. And uh, and so when I heard the word scholarship, I was like, oh, my God, I, you know, I can I can get a free education. And, uh, you know, my parents won't have to, uh, you know, get grants and loans to try to get me money to go to college. And that was my incentive. So after I broke my ankle in college, my rookie year, uh, my freshman year, I, I, I thought it, my basketball career was, you know, kind of over. So I never really thought about the NBA. I just thought about, you know, getting a college degree. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, to leave school after my junior year and join the Lakers. But I always had my um, degree in, in sight. And, um, you know, like a, lot of, like a lot of guys do who spend two or three years in college, they go back and get their degree, and that's probably the most satisfying thing that I've, uh, that I've probably achieved in, in my life. Now, think about your career with the Lakers and the players you got to play with. I mean, the amazing fact, you talked about Sam Perkins, Michael Jordan, yourself on uh, one team winning the national championship. Then you went to Showtime. So how about that? I mean, those are just two legendary teams for sure. Well, I couldn't have asked for anything better. I mean, uh, uh, leaving uh, North Carolina and winning the championship and being the most outstanding player and being drafted by the best team in the NBA. 
Lakers uh, made a trade in 1978 that sent uh, you know a couple of players to, to Cleveland for Cleveland's uh, number one draft pick in 1982, and uh, that's how I became a Laker. Because usually uh, the number one draft pick goes to the worst team most of the time, so it was a blessing in disguise going from uh, Dean Smith and then coming out here and playing with guys like Kareem, who played for John Wood, uh, Jamal Wilkes played for John Wooden. Uh, we had Pat Riley, who was a coach who played for Adolph Rupp in Kentucky. Uh, we had the great general manager, Jerry West. Um, Magic Johnson played for a great college coach at Michigan State, Judd Heachko. So we we were all well-trained and well-schooled in the, in, the, in the game of basketball and teamwork and how to create synergy and cohesiveness. We already had that. And so it was a, it was a great collaboration of talent. A definite great collaboration of talent. And think about the, the, the experience that you guys had on the floor. You were almost coaches on the floor with the, the great legends that coached you in college. Yeah, we had guys that were verbal leaders like Magic and Michael Cooper and you know guys on the bench like Bob McAdoo who played at North Carolina as well. You know, Mitch Kupchak played for Dean Smith. So we, you know, we had guys who kind of, once we got together, we kind of knew and it made it a lot easier for the coach to kind of implement his plan. And uh, we had great leadership um, in the locker room and uh, on, the, on the floor as well. And you had that great leadership and then winning those world championships. How did it feel to be a world champion once you, when you won your first uh, world title? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, you think about it, that's, that's your ultimate goal. So if you'd imagine it's a very satisfying feeling after starting in October at training camp and working together with a group of guys and then being able to, uh, you know, sometimes not get your goal, but when you got it, it's probably, you know, the most satisfying thing as a unit to know that, you know, you, you're the best in the world. Absolutely, and uh, the friendships you made in your career in the NBA, and to see the growth of the NBA from from now from from when you played to now, meaning the contracts and and how large the NBA has grown, the Showtime really put, I believe, the NBA on the map. Between your rivalries with the Celtics for so many years, it just completely uh, revolutionized the NBA, in my opinion, for sure. And Showtime. Well, I mean, it was a. It was, a, it was a good time for the NBA. Uh, they got a new commissioner. Uh, commissioner Stern came in with a new philosophy and a new infrastructure. Uh, television contracts were construed, and uh, you, know, you had the you know, had Magic and Bird on the East Coast, West Coast, two great rivalries with a lot of history. Kind of, you know, began that era. And uh, then you had Philadelphia, and you had Detroit. You had uh, you had some really good teams. You know, Milwaukee was a good team. Uh, the Knicks. Bernard King, I just think there was a lot more parity. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a cakewalk for, for us, but, you know, it really changed the way people looked at the NBA and the game and the image. And uh, I think that was the start of, a, you know, the start of something really, really great. James, you, you seem like very a very humble man. How did how how was your career in L.A. and the fact of the glitz and glamour and how you kind of, you know, you you stayed yourself. You know, you you were not outspoken. You were you you were a leader on the floor by example. How did you do that? Is that from grow, how you grew up? You'd say uh, in that type of way. No, yeah. Like, you know, like most people, like most kids and most you know adolescents, you know, we you know, we have great parents. 
and you know, I did. I had I had great parents, and I, you know, I, as I got older, I, you know, try to remember some of the things they tried to instill in my two older brothers and I. And you know, humility is the best. And uh, you know, that's that. You know, you do your job. You, know, you, uh, you don't you don't necessarily you know try to draw attention to yourself. You, just, you know, once you once you go for employment. You get your job. You just go out and do your job, and you go home and you try to repeat it. That's all. I, that's the only thing I tried to do. I, you know, I didn't see myself as a, you know, I just played ball basically. And was part of a great team. I was, I was happy when people appreciated what I did, and I appreciated that. I tried to use that as incentive to go out and be the best I could be at what I did. Uh, most definitely. We're talking to James Worthy, NBA Hall of Fame legend, uh, world champion, and we're talking about his career and really learning about specifically James the person, James the person and how he uh, conducted himself on and off the court. Would you say, how did you keep yourself uh, from not getting in trouble, especially with what you know L.A. and Hollywood can bring, especially playing for the Lakers for so many years, when there were a lot, during your time, there were a lot of issues going on with professional athletes in all all sports, especially at well, that I, time. I, I, you know, I can't say that I, you know, was uh, eliminated myself from, you know, from, from, from getting into some things that I probably shouldn't have, but you always learn from, you know, you always learn from your mistakes, you know, in life. And try not to repeat them, and that's the key. You know, people uh, sometimes when people make mistakes, they they dwell on it, and they you know they 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 let that you know define who they are. And you have to move forward, whatever it is. So I've always knew that I was a good person. I always knew I was willing, uh, like giving back to the community and helping others. And I just kept that in mind. You know, I never really tried to uh, be anybody other than who I who I've always been. And um, so that's that's the key for me. That was my formula, was to live life one day at a time, be, be kind to others, and use your platform to do the best you can to bring those who are less fortunate, you know, uh, you know, up to your level. And you know, when you run into problems in life, you just you know you 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 take responsibility for it, and you move on, and you don't repeat it, and you try to you know you try to grow as a person. So. That's all. That's always been my forte. I don't take things. You know, I try not to attach a meaning to everything. You know, just as long as I know I'm doing the best I can do, and I just that's it. That's it's simple. Keep it simple. You're definitely keeping it simple, James, and 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 all of us fall in, fall into the cracks. But a lot of these athletes allow certain places like this to get caught up, and then they never have the opportunity to be a legend like yourself. You made maybe some decisions that weren't always the best, but all of us have made those mistakes in life, and we learn from them. And you utilize that. So when you decided to retire, and it came to one of the most difficult decisions to say, "I'm going to no longer play." basketball and think about life after basketball was that a difficult thing for you you know i've seen guys before me um move on i knew that i wasn't going to play forever you never think that when you first start out when you're first second year in the league you never think you know five ten years from now it could be over and you have to prepare for, for something else that's why college is so important that's why having this making sports secondary in your life. I try to tell kids all the time, you probably have a better chance of being an owner of a team or a part owner or investor in a team than you would a player. Just the way it is. 
And um, so you have to, you know, prepare yourself to learn what business you're in, know how to read your contract. You know, there's a lot of budgeting and financial, you know, you catching up you have to do that most kids at 19, 20 don't have that, you know, they don't have that ability. So it, it takes a, uh, a lot of effort to really catch up and learn uh, your business and learn to prepare for life afterwards because you're still young when you retire. Most most of us are in our 30s. And in most cases, that's when most adults are really starting their businesses and starting to live their life. So it's, it's a unique business that you have to, uh, you have to strategize a lot. You definitely, James, have to strategize because, I mean, my 30s is when I finally got my mindset in life and stopped, you know, living life for myself, but for my children and my family. And 30 is kind of an age where a lot of men really grow up in certain aspects and are ready to uh, be an entrepreneur or to work for another person in certain ways. Certain people earlier, but a lot of times maturity of men, I'd say that 30-year-old mark. So that's what a lot of athletes, is when they finally retire, this is the age they are, they're at, and they're ready to go on for life after. So you thought about it. What did you decide, first of all, once your career was over, what did you get involved with? I always wanted to do uh, you know, radio or TV uh, as far as broadcasting, and I took a year off, you know, I tried to figure out, you know, what my plan was going to be, and then I got into, uh, I got into broadcasting right away with a local station here in Los Angeles. Uh, we did a lot of the Laker games, and a couple of years ago, Time Warner purchased uh, the exclusive rights, so I'm over there now, and I've been doing that for about, since 1998. So, um, a lot of corporate speaking, uh, motivational speaking, and some small ventures, you know, some other small ventures that, that I'm involved with, with friends that, uh, uh, that that I've known over the years to help them, you know, with their businesses and uh, on, on a consulting on a consulting basis. So uh, just, you know, just trying to learn, you know, more about different things in life, uh, trying to stay busy. So what do you like best about television, being involved in TV? Tell us what what's your favorite the, the, thing. The ability to build the ability to teach, um, the ability to teach people something that they might not be aware of. Uh, you know, a lot of people can go on the internet and look at stats and numbers, but sometimes to tell somebody why something happened and then show it on the screen, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that part of it, and uh, the creative the creative aspect, being able to uh, create unique stuff for people to. Uh, uh, to, to have a different insight to into the game. Absolutely, and uh, and you you get you're a teacher, and you have a larger platform to explain things, especially when you look at the players today, and then once you took the different route, you know, where you had to explain specifically what you learned in the game, and to kind of explain it to people that might not understand the game, you enjoyed that a lot, didn't you? Especially in, in, as you still do today, is looking at and breaking down a team, uh, and seeing specifically why they're either winning or losing in so many ways, right? Well, anybody can look at a highlight, and anybody can say, you know, great dunk or great pass, uh, but there's 15, 20 seconds of action that happens before uh, the main event usually. Usually there's a pick or there's a mistake on defense or there's something that went on throughout the play, uh, and that's what I enjoy doing, just kind of 
figured out what might be said in a timeout, what to look for, uh, just based on you know what I what I've experienced over the years. That's definitely true, James. And I see the teaching aspect of you is so important in everything. And you talked about you used your platform to help others. So tell us a, a little bit about your foundation and why you started it. Oh, uh, with the James Worthy Foundation uh, can be found at jamesworthyfoundation.org. Um, it's something that I always, you know, was taught by my mom, really. Uh, my mother was the first humanitarian that I ever saw, you know, when I was a young kid. Uh, she was a nurse, and she spent a lot of time um, in the neighborhood, tending to elderly people, making sure that they're, you know, taking their blood pressure. When she got home from the hospital working, she would make sure that they were administering their medicine properly. You know, I just saw her do a lot of things as a kid, so it just grew on me. And uh, um, Coach Smith at the University of North Carolina, that was his main emphasis was to use your platform uh, for a purpose. And he was extremely conscious of that. So I always wanted to give back. Uh, I received a lot of help coming up through the boys' clubs and YMCAs and different teachers that would pull me to the side and say, hey, I see you, you're doing this with these guys. You don't need to do that. So I've always had that you know, big brother kind of thing over me. So we do a lot with the military. Wow. Uh, my, uh, my hometown, we have a lot of people that go to the military, and they come home, we help them reorient themselves back into the community, financially help them with jobs, uh, get certain requirements for job testing and training, that kind of thing. We also do a lot with uh, kids at youth uh, at risk, uh, try to give them a different alternative through, uh, you know, through small businesses in the community. We try to pull a lot of kids off the football field and out of the gym and put them into real-life possibilities. And, you know, we try to tell them that there's only 400 potential slots in the NBA, and there's 20, 30, 40 million people trying to get it. So uh, we try to teach them about longevity and insurance and how that works as opposed to the short, glamour life of being an athlete. And if you want to be an athlete, we, we tell them to be a student athlete first, and we just kind of teach them how to be an athlete. So we do a lot of stuff in the community with different organizations, help them with some of their entities, uh, write bonds, and a lot of things that uh, are surrounding uh, community resources. That's tremendous for sure, James, and uh, definitely I could see from throughout our interview, it's all about helping others and doing what's best for the community in general. Now, you do have, you were talking about you have some other ventures on the side of television, and one thing is, tell me why you've uh, gotten involved in promoting Revive and Revitalize. Well, you know, as an athlete, you're always looking for the maximum, you know, uh, maximum maximum product and, you know, what's healthy, the maximum healthy product to put in your body. So, you know, I can remember, you know, my first vitamin was, I think, probably ginseng. Something. People with the ginseng thing was going on. Then it was bee pollen. And so you're always looking for a supplement uh, to maximize your, you know, your, your energy. And um, I have two daughters, and I watched them go through this, this energy drink thing with, a lot of variety of different uh, energy drinks that have become somewhat dangerous with some of the uh, 
some of the ingredients that are in there, uh, some of the enhancement and your energy level that it takes you to, and then uh, it's really not, you know, uh, healthy. So when I was approached by Rushmore, uh, who puts the product Revive out, and they told me that they're moving away from energy drink. In fact, we don't we don't we don't have an energy drink. We have a vitality drink. Oh, okay. Which has 21 superfruits in it. Uh, 21 superfruits meaning all natural fruits that are uh, uh, that don't that are, that are not chemically processed and a lot of things that your doctor would tell you to eat like when I go to my doctor he says eat blueberries and you know a lot of different variety of uh, fruits that and, and so this is what revive is it helps you to sustain the energy that you already have we all have energy within us that needs to be generated somehow, somehow maybe through what you eat or how you exercise, but it's there. And what Revive does is it sustains that and it, and it doesn't take you way up somewhere and then drop wow. you off. Yeah. The drop off is not good. And so that's, that's what it does. It does it. And it's a healthy supplement that your doctor would, uh, would, would advise. And we do have one that has a little bit of green tea in it. So if you want that extra little boost, uh, there's, a, there's one with a little green tea. And so um, we are now focusing on rebuild. There are different uh, drinks for rebuilding for people who are uh, experiencing different challenges with weight and stuff like that. So we are in the process of of uh, coming up with some, some really good products that have been out for three or four years and are on the market um, so it's a growing company that's really about educating people and then letting them make the right choice. D- definitely, James, and I think that through your platform, especially when you see that you you believe in li- living a healthy lifestyle, stay in great shape, that you're happy to promote a product that is healthy for you and yet also will give you the energy to go throughout the day. We talk about entrepreneurs. We talk about uh, people that need that extra energy when they might not get the sleep they need. This is something that will give them that extra energy incentive to stay going right through and and people think that you know a lot of people you know uh physical energy is important but more importantly you know you've always heard the the the, the cliche the quote mind over matter and this is really a mind energy drink as well as the body so when your mind is able to stay focused and you're able to uh have longevity in what you're doing mentally it transfers a message to your body that says, you know, I'm cool, I'm, I'm focused. And so when that message goes from your brain to your body, you have that, that physical energy to, uh, uh, it's only when you tell yourself, I'm tired, <laughs> or I, I don't feel good. When you tell yourself that, that's what you're telling your body. So Revive allows you to uh, mentally stay focused. It has a lot of, you know, different fruits that are combined together that give you the mental stability that uh, transfers into uh, being able to sustain your entire body energy uh, throughout the day. And I know, James, that living a healthy lifestyle is very important to you, so uh, you're definitely sticking by the product. You would not endorse something that you say, you know, is not healthy because living a healthy lifestyle is very important to you, isn't it, James? Uh, uh, I don't know, maybe... 25 years ago, I heard um, 
Bill Cosby talking about uh, his Jello commercials, and people were saying, "Why are you doing these Jello commercials? Because you're getting paid so much money." He said, "He said, look, I get, I get a chance to uh, promote." A different product every day. I only promote things that I use and I believe in. So it only makes sense to you know go that route. Uh, you know to you know because you don't want to promote something that you haven't tried or that you don't have been educated about, and you don't want to mislead people. That's not cool. So you know try to keep it up front and, and keep it you know keep it real. And uh, that's I sleep well at night after that concept. All right, well, fantastic, James. Where can we find information on the products so our listeners can learn more about uh, the different products, rebuild, reshape, refocus, the, the different drinks, and uh, uh, the, the ingredients and stuff? Yeah, go to, uh, go to Rushmore.com or Revive.com, and you should be able to, uh, should be able to see uh, all the different variety of, of food juices and and uh, for different, for different, uh, for different health issues, that's uh, a delicious, youthful antioxidant. And um, yeah, that's what I would do. Rushmore Essentials and Rushmore.com. All right. Well, fantastic. Do you have a website of your own? What you you already told uh, is it JamesWorthyFoundation.org is for your yes, is for is, your foundation. That is foundation. That is the foundation uh, website. JamesWorthy.org. And I also have a. Um, my Facebook and some other stuff, but go to jamesworthyfoundation.org and you'll be able to find all the information necessary. Well, James, I enjoyed uh, taking the time. Best of luck uh, with the rest of the season, and uh, I, I thanks again for taking the time, James. You got it, buddy. All right, take care, man. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Total Celebrity Show on the Total Radio Network, and we'll be back in just a moment. the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done